everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today, I have an awesome guest. His name is Daniel Tolson, and he's a successful business coach and is regarded as Asia's number one business coach specializing in emotional intelligence and is a former Australian champion athlete. And Daniel will show us how to become successful by providing scientific and evidence-based methods on how to catapult your influence, accelerate your impact, and unleash new income levels. Welcome, Daniel Tolson, and thank you for being on my show. My friend, thank you so much for the lovely introduction. Greatly appreciated. You're welcome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be a great show for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Well, whilst all the kids were going to school and playing, uh, I was going to therapy. <laughs> and that was my early years at school. Uh, when I was at school, I was diagnosed with a learning disability called linear sequential learning disability. And so they thought by putting me in therapy, they'd be able to get that out of the mind. So they sent me to a special class called the Space Lab. And I thought the Space Lab was for the kids who were going to be astronauts, but it was just for all the kids who were off the planet. And so that's how I started my early days at school. And it didn't go well after that. I dropped out of school at age 17, simply because I just couldn't keep up with others. And it wasn't that I wasn't intelligent. It was that the way that I made decisions and the way that I learned was very different to others. So where most people are very lineal in thinking, I was naturally gifted in lateral thinking, but nobody really knew how to develop it at that stage. So with that special skill of not going to school, I started to see the world different and I got into real estate and I found that in real estate, I could use all of my relating skills. I could communicate to people older than me. I could uh, sell properties. I could list properties. And in my first six months of real estate, I found myself in the top 10 sales creators in the country. And that set me up for success because by the age of 19 and a half, I'd already purchased my first real estate investment property. And I realized that you didn't need a formal education to succeed. You needed different skills, you needed to work hard, but if you knew how to use your skills in the right domain, you could start to make money and get results. So by 22, I'd bought my second property and by 22, I quit my job and went and traveled the world. <laughs> and that was the best education that I had. And then, then after that, I started to have a lot of business success in family business, launching my own businesses, and then ending up co-leading a team of 17,500 cabin crew at Emirates Airline as a senior flight steward. And then from there, launched into my own businesses and uh, lived outside of the country for around about 20 years. So it's been good. Although I look Aussie and I sound Aussie, I'm not. <laughs> Love it, mate. Um, great story there. Love it. I can definitely, uh, you know, compare stories where I dropped out in my final year, 17 as well of high school. So uh, it's interesting where people that don't fit into the standard boxes that, you know, back then, especially didn't know as much about how to deal with you, but we, we found our own way, right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and it makes us, I guess, unique in the way that we think differently um, there and, and be able to solve problems and everything there. So love that story. And, and then, yeah, how it all uh, unfolded there to get you to where you are. So thanks for sharing, mate. Um, 
And okay, I know a lot about business, right? Like, you know, we can do a lot of stuff ourselves when we start, but realistically, we need others to help us because we can't do everything, um, especially as the business is growing. So getting the right people in the business is really important. And I think this is a, a big challenge for uh, business owners today or, or people within a business that do hiring um, because especially in Australia or around the world, it's, it's, it's even tougher now with, you know, less talent, uh, so to speak, in the market and, and making sure that we're getting the right people. So I'd love to delve deeper on this with you today so we can hopefully uh, help everybody to, um, yeah, make better decisions in that area. So, Firstly, let's talk about maybe some challenges, some common challenges or issues or, or costs associated if we get a bad hire, right? If we get the wrong person um, in the organization um, there and, and why it's essential to make sure that we get the right person you know, from the start. Well, as a typical Aussie would say, it's not cheap. <laughs> and the reality is, is that when we hire somebody, there's a lot of time that goes into it. So to hire somebody in the business you've got to at least invest invest at least a hundred hours into the process and if you bring that person into the business and they work out to be the wrong person it takes around about 80 days to discover that they're the wrong person so you've already invested a hundred hours over the next 82 days you realize that they're the wrong person and you have no productivity in your role or results from their role and then you've got to start the business cycle over again to hire so when we look at the associated costs in australia if you're paying somebody a salary of about a hundred thousand dollars and you're a service-based business and you get it wrong then that hiring mistake will cost you upwards of three hundred thousand dollars most businesses report up to 500,000. But if you're in a larger scale manufacturing business and you've got acreage, you've got the construction space, the building space, the machinery, the investment, one bad hire could cost you upwards of a million dollars. And I've personally seen primary industry businesses make 10 bad hires per year. And so when they look at the profitability, they say, we've made no money. Well, all of that's a sunk cost and 10 bad hires would equal $10 million in losses per year, but oftentimes not calculated. So that's the true cost of a bad hire. And I think if you've hired anyone before you start to think about it, well, I've had to create the ads. On average, you've got to get 250 CVs to find 15 potential candidates. Out of those 15 potential candidates, you're going to make uh, three will go through to the final hiring round. You'll interview those at least two or three times. You'll make your final offer. And even at that final offer, 50% of people will say no. And so you've got to get back into the recruitment cycle all over again. And if you've been in business, you know what I'm talking about. And if you've worked for somebody else, you also know what I'm talking about because you see it and you're a part of it. So... If you're a small business, it's going to cost you at least three hundred grand for that mistake. Yeah, crazy numbers, isn't it? There, when you actually think about it, and most businesses probably don't have the awareness of the numbers, even though they're so important about what it's actually costing them. Um, but that uh, should hopefully get us back into gear and going. We need to get this right. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about it from the start of the process. But I guess one key thing is the job description, right? Like, who are we hiring, and, and how we're constructing that to make sure it's clear and everything before we go down the process. 
So do you want to maybe share a little bit more about that job description and, you know, what's, what's important uh, for that to make sure that we, we set the process up, I guess, you know, for success later on. Mm. The first stage of doing a really good hire is in preparation. And the team should sit around the table and get clarity on that position description. What's the job to be done? And probably the biggest mistake that a lot of businesses are making is that they're asking multiple jobs to be done by one person and they need competing personalities. I was having a conversation the other day about a good salesperson and a lot of businesses want a full cycle salesperson, somebody to open the sale, somebody to manage the sales process and then to close. But it takes three different types of temperaments to be able to do that. So the business says we want one person to do all of that. And so then they build the job description around that. And so the problem starts there. So the job descriptions part of the process. One thing that most businesses fail to look at are the key accountabilities. And the key accountabilities are what this person has to do in the role. What are the results that they're responsible for? And we need to sit down and look through those very clearly. For example, if you're looking at a salesperson, then one of the key accountabilities is to prospect. The second one is to be able to present. The third one is to be able to close. And then the fourth one is to be able to follow up. But they're four different things and they require four different skills. So as we look at that job description, we're going to identify the key accountabilities. But the fascinating thing is that most people waste 50% of their time at work and 30% of their time is spent on activities that are not high value activities. So when we're thinking through the job description, we also want to think about time allocation. How much time does this person need to allocate to this particular key accountability per week? So for example, if you're building a role for a salesperson, then prospecting is the first most important thing that they have to do. We know historically since 1927, the average salesperson doesn't pick up the phone until 11 a.m. in the morning. And that first two hours of time is wasted in preparation. So they think they're managing their time, but they're actually not doing anything. The true cost of that, if you waste three hours per day in your role, the true cost of the economy is upwards of $700 billion per year. If you waste 36 seconds per day, the true cost to the economy is about $120 million per year. So when we think about these job roles, these position descriptions, the key accountability, we're gonna think about how we want this person to allocate time. Because if you can say to your future salesperson, from the hours of nine till 12, you're gonna do prospecting, they don't have to think about how they manage their time. They just allocate it. Okay, 9 till 12, Monday to Thursday, I do prospecting. And I get 15 appointments a day, Monday to Thursday. And that leads into the next key accountability, which is to present. So these are some of the things that we've got to factor in. And there's many other things that have to go into that before you even complete the position description. And when you think through these things, it actually reduces the risk of a bad hire by up to about 93%. So the thinking 
is the most critical part of the job description. Yeah, love that, mate. That's so uh, amazing there. And, and the bit that I loved, which I you know recently coined as well, is like time boxing, right? Like, you know, allocating times at, you know, morning and afternoons or whatever that is for specific things. So you're not going back and forth because for a lot of people, you can lose a lot of time, number one, but it also is tough on the brain to keep switching, right, with what you do. So I love that. Um, just generally as a business owner to do that normally, but then to then advise your staff to do it and actually set them up for success from the start is massive, um, you know, to be able to do that. So I love uh, I love that point um, as well. Really powerful. And, and as we switch, the, the problem is I used to teach time management and I love time management, but the level beyond that is time allocation. So you, when you pick up a task, for example, prospecting, you start prospecting, but a lead comes in and you now get into the sales process. By the time you put one task down and pick up the next task, it takes 500% more time to complete that accountability. So something that should have taken an hour now blows out and takes five hours because the amount of time it takes to get back into your rhythm once again. And so there's huge costs and that's the downside of time management. I'm trying to balance all this stuff, allocate it, and then what you do is you start at nine and you finish at 12. And whilst you're doing that, you've got to realize that the majority of the world's sales population are not going to pick up the telephone till 11 a.m. You've got a two-hour head start every day. Do that five days a week. That's a 10-hour jump start on your competitor. Whilst you're doing five days of work, you're getting six days of productivity just by starting on time. And that's the payoff. And when we find people who can fit those roles and you find a superior performer who can follow your system, the return on investment is higher. If you get an average person to a job, you'll get a 1.4 times return on your investment. If you spend $100,000 on them, you'll get 140000 back. An average performer will return a 2.4 times return on your investment. You get two hundred and forty k back. But if you get a high performer to follow your role description, they complete the time allocation. That same investment of $100,000 in wages will be a return to the business of $490,000. Same job. Same fee, 4.9 times the ROI. Yeah, love that, mate. So true. And I love the numbers behind it about showing, you know, how powerful it is when you get the right person, that A player, high performer um, in those roles. And, and you've got that, yeah, all those key things really clear for them to follow. Um, I guess the other key thing as well was around culture, right? Like culture in a business is naturally important. We need to build that. But getting the right person that also fits the culture, right, is in there because if someone's outside of that, that could really affect, um, you know, the whole business, um, not just, you know, the higher there. So do you want to maybe talk a little bit about um, what should we, we should be thinking about, uh, you know, to make sure that this person that we're looking at is going to be a cultural fit at the same time? <laughs> When we hire and we build our teams, we've got to consider what's called group dynamics. And there's four phases of group dynamics. First of all, the team forms and comes together. And it's like the honeymoon period. I remember when I met my wife for the first time, I was on my best behavior. I smiled, I smelt good, I brushed my teeth, I did all the things, I said all the right things in that honeymoon period. And it's the same when a new person comes to the business. Everybody's on their best behavior and you tolerate any behavior. And that's the first stage. The second stage of group dynamics is what's called the storming phase. 
And this is where we start to have friction with others. We say the shit hits the fan and I'm not going to tolerate that person's bad breath anymore. I'm not going to tolerate that person smoking ciggies at the back door. I'm not going to tolerate this person's language pattern. And we start to clash. And once we start to clash, that's when we start to have cultural issues. And a lot of businesses never get out of the storming phase. They bring a new person in, they go straight to the storming phase. They get somebody out, the culture disappears, they remain in that storming phase. When they eventually get out of that, they get to what's called normalizing. And in that normalization period, everybody's just getting average results. You pick up the phone, you make a call, you close one in 10 deals. That's nothing special. You can't scale or grow a business at that level. What the business has to get to is the fourth stage, which is called the performing stage. But 80% of businesses never get there. And it's because of that culture. And one of the biggest things that prevents them from getting there is their outlook on conflict. There's two approaches to conflict. There's a harmony approach to conflict, which says, let's just bury everything under the rug. If there's a problem, let's sweep it under the rug. If there's an argument with you or I, let's just agree to disagree and get on with it. But eventually over time, that fire builds up, it builds up, it builds up, and it turns into a massive explosion. And from a small conflict that you and I had that we could have solved immediately, it's turned into like an atomic bomb, and now it impacts everybody. So in terms of impact on culture, one bad hire can actually impact the workflow of 300 other people in an organization. One person will impact 300 lives. And the big problem with the, with the uh, culture is that there's too many harmonious organizations. It's the kumbaya, it's the call to God moment, let's just get along and be friends, but let's not deal with the conflict. So that's one approach. The other approach is what we call is the conflict outlook. As soon as there's a problem, we deal with it. If you and I have a conflict, we deal with it immediately so it goes no further. If we have a conflict with another department, we deal with it today and we get on with it because we've got to get out of the storming, we've got to get past the norming, and only then can we get to the performing stage. And so dealing with conflict is a major part of that. And if we're dealing with conflict and we have that conflict approach, then when we induct new people into the organization, we can actually educate them on how we deal with conflict. So from day one, that person says, well, if I've got a problem with Daniel, I'm gonna deal with it head on. And it gets solved and everybody moves forward. So they're the four stages of group dynamics. And 80% of businesses never get through to performing because they can't deal with the conflicts. Yeah, I love that one. So so powerful there, and and I love that you're instilling that. Right, it's like part of the induction or how you you know how we do things around here uh, to make sure that yeah things are being resolved as quickly as possible. So love love that part there, and um, I guess you know when we're interviewing people now, um, a lot of people still look at the skills. Oh yeah, can they do the job? And as long as they're the best person on paper, but realistically IQ is not as important as the EQ, especially the behavioral side of things, right? Is, is like, and I know you're big on emotional intelligence as well, but the, the behaviors and, and understanding the attitude, right? Of the person is gonna be so important. So do you wanna to touch a little bit on that side of things and about maybe some questions or things that we should be thinking about in those interviews to make sure that those soft skills, right, are there 
um, so that, you know, if there's challenging times, they're going to be able to, you know, get through them. The more you learn, the more you earn. That's been rammed down our throats for decades. And I was training 75 leaders last night and I spoke to one leader and she has two master's degrees. She's a certified practicing accountant and she still doesn't have the success that she's looking for. And she said, Daniel, how is it possible that I've gone to university and school for a good portion of 30 years and I still don't have the success that I'm looking for. She said, I've got all the knowledge. And I said, well, what about your skills? She said, I've been practicing for a decade. And I said, well, what about your attitude? And she said, well, uh, that's a problem. See, we can have all the knowledge and all the skill that we desire, but if we lack the right attitude, then we're gonna take the wrong action. And when we study how the brain works, we've learned that how we make decisions remains consistent over time. So from the time of conception, your brain is developing different ways to make decisions. And that stays the same throughout most of your lifetime. Uh, you and I have spoken about this before. We've got 60,000 thoughts a day. 95% are on repeat. And so how you think, decide and act determines your results. And we do it all day, every day. And it's outside of conscious awareness. We're actually inattentive to how we make decisions. People say, well, Daniel, I did a plus and a minus. I weighed the pros and cons. No, that's a tool of thinking, but you don't know how you got to the decision. So when I looked at this person's Hartman value profile, which measures the brain's natural process of making a decision, she had some really good attention scores in the area of systems judgment. So if you think about this, a certified practicing accountant, somebody who's completed two master's degrees is a very systemic thinker. She knows the taxation laws, she knows the accounting principles, and she can look at your numbers and go one, two, three, four, five, six, profit, loss, etc. And her mind works systemically. That wasn't the problem. She could do the job, but she didn't have the success that she desired. And that comes back into what you mentioned before about emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, stated that 58% of your success in life is going to come down to your emotional intelligence, not your IQ. Your IQ is fixed. At age 13 or 14, it doesn't change. But emotional intelligence is fluid. And there's five key areas. The first area is self-awareness. And this is understanding why we think and feel the way that we do. Lady last night, she doesn't know how she thinks. If you don't know how you think, you don't realize how that impacts your emotions. And if you're acting out of fear, you're going to get a very different result than if you are acting out of courage. The second pillar of emotional intelligence is self-regulation. And self-regulation is about controlling those thought and feeling impulses. Everybody has a family member who speaks before they think, and they always end up in trouble. And all of us have been in that dark hole before that pit of despair. We know we're in there. We know it's not good for us, but we can't get ourselves out of it. And that's regulation. The third pillar of emotional intelligence is motivation. Now, it's not the Tony Robbins jump up and down motivation. T. Harvecker, I've got a millionaire mind. It's not that type of stuff. It's about resilience. 
you know, in business, you're going to fail more times than you succeed. doesn't mean that you're not going to be rich. See, 71% of decisions you make will turn out to be wrong in the fullness of time. And the only way to overcome a bad decision is to make another decision. And when that doesn't work out, you decide again, you make another decision. But you've got to have the resiliency to pick yourself up. You know, the Japanese say, fall down seven times, get back up eight. And if you look at any business person, they've had huge failures. The average self-made millionaire goes bankrupt or close to bankruptcy 2.4 times before they succeed. So when we looked at this case study last night, the problem wasn't the knowledge and the skill, it was the approach. And she was self-depreciating. She wasn't asking for more responsibilities. She had been offered two pay rises, but because she didn't feel worthy of it, she never followed it through. So emotional intelligence is going to term, determine how we think, how we feel, and how we act. And if you've got the right knowledge and the right skill, and you still don't have the success that you're looking for, then the third component is the attitude. It's how we're approaching the job. It's how we're approaching the people. And they're the things that have to change. And that's the importance of emotional intelligence for both a business person and a serious professional. Yeah, love that. I completely agree. So powerful. And um, and having that growth mindset, right? Like that you want to grow. It's not like uh, I've always been this way. This is the way that I am. I think that's, the, you know, the very fixed way of thinking. It's like I shouldn't have to change. But, uh, you know, one of my coaches said, how you grow is how you succeed, right? In that area there. So, um, you know, your attitude um, can be can be fixed, uh, you know, and, and as you would know, Daniel, like, especially as the business owner journey, it's tough, especially at the start, right, of the journey, there's a lot of ups and downs. And I think that's why most businesses fail is that they, they don't have that resilience, um, and that attitude to keep going, right, when when times get tough. Um, and then, you know, then and, and then there's still going to be challenges as the business grows, they're just different challenges, right, where, you know, people leave hiring things, whatever, right, that pops up for them that we try and mitigate. So I think, um, you know, it's so important that we keep building that that mindset, that attitude side of things so that when things pop up, we can um, be able to, you know, make the right decisions in those moments and not let it affect us. So, yeah, awesome, mate. The, the data inputs is we've been fed a lie. You know, think about how many webinars people have gone through during uh, the two and a half years of COVID. And all you need to do is you can start, you know, I watch these ClickFunnels ads, Damon John, you don't need my money to start a million dollar business. All you need is another funnel. A funnel will change the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the holidays that you go on. And people think they can just do one thing and that's going to equal success. That's bullshit. It's a lie. There's multiple variations that you have to make every single year in your business to make it successful. And if you just look at the numbers, in the first two years of your business, you're going to beg, borrow and steal just to keep afloat. And that's no different from you. The gods haven't come down from the mountain of Olympus and said, Ethan, we're going to screw with you. No, it's just a reality of business. In the first three to four years of business, you start to recoup those costs, but you're probably struggling to pay your way. You're probably still paying back mum and dad, uncle and auntie, brother, sister, going back to the pawnbrokers like we used to own. And that's normal in the first three to four years of business. The average business does not turn a profit until the seventh year. And that's historic. 
And it's no different for you. It's no different for me. The gods aren't screwing with Daniel because I was born under the sign of cancer, the house of Capricorn. None of that has anything to do with it. It's just the learning curve that we're going to go through. The first thing that you're going to do in business is you're going to go through the learning curve and you've got to acquire new knowledge. You've got to acquire new skills. You've got to change your mindset, the way that you approach your customers, your team members. After that, you can go into the growth curve. But as soon as we go into that growth curve, our old bad habits come back up and we get stuck at what's called the founder's trap and the business can't grow past the founder. But most people have an ego and they say, well, I should be able to do it all myself. Asking for help is a weakness. And what happens? Business declines. But the smart people, they ask for help and the business grows, grows and grows. And there'll be a stage where the business stops growing and it'll plateau and it will go into a decline. It happened to Polaroid. It happened to Kodak. It happened to Blockbuster. It happens to McDonald's every year, every season. Certain foods go out of fashion. And what they do is they don't give up and they don't quit. They say, oh my gosh, the gods are screwing with me. They say this is a natural part of business and we've got to get back into business model innovation. Let's reinvent the menu. Let's reinvent the offer. And they go again. And that's where the resiliency comes in. And if you can accept that as part of the journey, like think about Jesus in the Bible and his three stages to the cross. He had a massive cross to bear and he fell down multiple ways before he was crucified. And after he was crucified and lost everything, he came back to life. <laughs> it's like business. You're going to try many things. It's not going to work. And eventually, after you've tried hundreds of things, you'll find the thing that works for you and you'll recoup all of those costs in a short period of time. But most people give up and we call that three feet from gold. They're digging, they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. They're just about to strike gold and they say, screw it. Somebody comes along and goes, oh, somebody's dug a hole here, <laughs> three feet from gold. The next person becomes a millionaire. And you know what they say? I knew that was going to happen. And so you just got to stick it out. In business, there's no magic pill. There's no magic formula. We have to be able to stand up on our two feet. And I heard it from a good friend of mine, Brian Tracy. He said, Daniel, the way that most businesses succeed is by the principle of the last man standing. It's the person who can just leave their front door open one minute longer than everybody else. And if you think about it, you might be selling toothbrushes and you might be struggling to sell toothbrushes, but if all the other manufacturers go out of business and you remain open, people still have to brush their teeth. People still have to buy toothbrushes. They're going to come to you. But most people quit too soon. And that's the story of the human race. They quit too soon. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so true. Um, and, and I love the mindset talk. I know we're both you know, big on NLP and understanding a lot of these things on much depth, which we could do multiple episodes on, on that side of things. But I think it really harnessed um, that connection, right, with the attitude and the way we need to be thinking about it. So love that. And I guess one one other thing that's that's really important, I think, and I'd like to hear your views, is about like these, when we're hiring people, we're getting close to that stage, thinking about like assessments or personality profiling, things like that. And obviously it could depend on the role about what you do as well. Um, your side about just making sure that this person is the right fit, right? Um, from there, not just of them showing their best foot forward in an interview, but actually putting them through something as well. So what are your thoughts around that and what we could be using to just, yes, yeah, solidify that we're making the right decision? The reality is when it comes to hiring, it's high risk. And it's high risk 
because business people have what's called an affinity bias. I was born in the Western suburbs. I love the Penrith Panthers. And if I meet somebody else who's wearing a Panthers journey, automatically we're on the same team. I like this person. And 85% of businesses make your hiring decision in the first 15 minutes. And it's because of this affinity bias. We're born in the same town. We went to the same school. We follow the same football club. And within 15 minutes, they'll make a hiring decision. But think about this. Let's say somebody's going to be in your business for 10 years and you're going to pay them $100,000 a year. That's a million dollar decision. And you make that decision in 15 minutes? It's crazy. The reality is, is that there was statistics done about when people buy a car. People buy a car, maybe $50,000, $60,000, but the decision-making process takes up to six months to buy a fifty dollars or $60,000 car. Yet because of an affinity bias, a business takes all of their life's work and then makes the decision in 15 minutes to have a person on the team. It's outrageous. And when you think about it, it's nuts. What's even worse is that 5% of businesses make the hiring decision in the first 60 seconds. And they do it on things like intuition, bias, and preference. And that's where the big mistakes take place. So what the smart companies are doing is they're thinking through the process. And they think through what are the behaviors that we need from this individual? Do we need somebody who's very results focused? Or do we need somebody who's relationship focused? But the problem is, is if you ask the candidate, are you results focused? They say, hey, yeah, I'm results focused. Because what they want is they want a job. They're not thinking about the science of job fit. So as we consider the science of job fit, we want to use statistically validated tools that have no bias. So we can measure people's behaviours. We can measure people's drivers. See, a lot of people think they're going to make money in sales, but they're not wired in their heart for money. See, one of the things that you want in a salesperson is you want somebody who's greedy. Now, people hear the word greed and go, Daniel, how dare you say greedy? Greedy is not a bad thing. Greed is good. See, we say you don't want to hire the needy. You want to hire the greedy. Think about a salesperson who has a long list of wants and needs. I want to live on the North Shore. I want to have a $3 million apartment. I want to drive a Bugatti. I want to travel first class. I want to have a Rolex. I want to wear Gucci shoes. I want to have a diamond ring, a Louis Vuitton handbag. They've got all these long wants and needs. And what happens is they're motivated. I want it, I want it, I want it, and I'm going to do the work. Where a needy person says, Athen, I need a job. My rent's due. I've got to send my kids to school. Now, yes, they do need a job. They do need money. But what's going to happen? As soon as they get the money to pay the rent, to pay the kids and put them in school, the motivation disappears. There's nothing that they want beyond that. And so as the business owner, you try to rev them up. You try to get them motivated. They're motivated for the minimum. You want somebody who's motivated for the maximum. And if you ask somebody, are you motivated? Everybody will answer, yes. Nobody's going to tell you they're lazy. They're going to tell you they're exceptional and they make sales. 
but we can actually measure it. And there's a very important motivator that determines sales success, and it's called an economic driver. And we did studies on hundreds of thousands of salespeople around the world, and 71% of the world's most successful salespeople have the exact same motivational force, which is an economic driver. They're all greedy, they're all selfish, and they all want more. And what happens is they work hard and they're disciplined to hit their targets. So we can measure that. And if somebody doesn't have that within them, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just tells you the job in and of itself will not trigger intrinsic motivation. And if you can know this about people before they even step foot in the door, you can eliminate the hiring mistake immediately. The studies show that if you double somebody's income, the motivation will spike for 60 minutes and it will return back to its normal levels on the 61st minute. And every boss knows this. Employee comes in and says, boss, I need a pay rise. Boss says, well, what are you going to do for me? I'm not going to do anything extra. I just want more money. And the boss knows that money isn't the best motivator. Other people are motivated by learning. And so you might have to introduce incentives to learn in the role. And so by using statistically validated tools, you can see this. It's like an x-ray. It's like an MRI. It's like a blood test on what's happening inside of the person. So we stop listening like we say in NLP. <laughs> Talk is cheap. The most important thing is action. But the problem is if you hire the person, you've got to wait now 100 days to figure out if they can do it or not. Why not spend 10 to 15 minutes to measure it before they even walk in and save yourself the time, energy and effort? I did this for a client the other week. We found a salesperson. He was a match to our benchmark. We interviewed another salesperson. They didn't meet the benchmark. So we said, this is not the right job for you. Go and work for somebody else. Candidate number one, you're a perfect fit. He's been in the job for nine days and they've already made $30,000 because this one person in the first nine days. So the speed to proficiency accelerates. He's already paid for himself. If he walked out next week, they'd lose nothing, but he's not going to go because he fits the job. And that's the goal. If you get the right person for the right job the first time, you eliminate the risk and the business gets into that performance curve. They go from forming, storming, norming to performing in a matter of days, not years, days. Instead of taking six to 12 months, days. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that. And um, so, so powerful what you just shared. And just to add a little bit more, just to see if people go on here, but how do we do this? Is there any, is there at least one tool or something that you can recommend, uh, if not multiple, um, that people can do to understand these drivers um, about people so they can make that better decision? There's many tools out there in the marketplace and the skill is choosing the right tool. So if you want to look at people's behaviours, you want to start to explore a science called DISC. If you want to explore people's motivators, then you've got to start to have a look at what's called passions. If you want to explore the way that people think and decide, then you've got to look at people's Hartman value profiles. If you want to measure people's selling ability, you've got to have a look into sales IQ. And if you want to have a look at people's emotional intelligence, then you want to explore emotional quotient assessments. 
And what we know is if you use a combination of five to six of those in the hiring process, you'll eliminate the hiring mistake by 93%. It'll also accelerate the process. Instead of spending 100 hours in the recruitment process, my clients have brought it down to as little as 10 hours. So you're going to save time, you're going to save money, and then you're going to get results in seconds. That's the way to do it. Yeah, awesome, mate. Thanks for sharing um, to look at it from those different angles um, to uh, yeah to take action depending on the right fit, especially for that particular role. And um, so much gold has been shared today, Daniel. Um, thank you. It's been awesome. And as we, I guess, wrapping up here now, what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Hire slow and fire fast. Nice. Simple and effective. Completely agree with that um, because, uh, yeah, you want to get it right. And then uh, if they're not there um, in that moment, then uh, get rid of them quickly. Otherwise, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars like we, or, or a million potentially depending on the type of business. So love that, mate. Um, so, so true. And, yeah, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from, you know, doing a variety of roles to now being, you know, business coach at the Tolson Institute and awesome guy, very knowledgeable and uh, quite a lot of value today. And I'm sure you continue to help people become successful. Um, very grateful we connected and I'm very grateful to be on your podcast as well before this and, and great to uh, to share that, um, you know, knowledge with our audiences and, and look forward to working with you. So Daniel, how can people find you and get in contact with you? My business is my name. So if you type in Daniel Tolson, you'll see my website, danieltolson.com. Go there, heaps of free resources. I've authored 15 books. You can download them all for free. All of my trainings on NLP are free on YouTube. My trainings on timeline therapy are all free on YouTube. So if you want to learn at your own pace, uh, go to my website and that'll direct you to my other pages. Awesome. Love it. Definitely check out Daniel on his website and all those goodies that he's got available for you as well. And, and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. Or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. If you want to grow and scale your business, you reach out to me on any platform to see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way you know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.